0: I have welcomed all kinds of great guests, including Cola Scola, Bowen Yang, Robbie Hoffman. It goes on and on and on. And you don't want to miss the 200th episode with the great Maria Bamford. What does she bring me? Find out April 25th. New episodes every Thursday. Follow I Said No Gifts wherever you get your podcasts. Of the Law & Order franchises, SVU is considered especially watchable.
1: We are the amateur detectives who kind of investigate the vicious felonies these episodes are based on. These are our stories. Dun-dun! Yay! Another episode of That's Messed Up an SVU podcast. I'm thrilled to be here. It's Lisa and I'm Kara, your
0: other host. And you know what we do on this podcast? It's SVU episodes, true crime. Usually a guest, but uh, we're still supporting our SAG after strike and not having guests on the podcast. But hopefully in 2024 we're back at you with some guests. In the meantime, absolutely. We chat before we get started,
1: because yeah, it's um, yeah. I, I, I want to talk to the people. I miss it. Yeah. I miss talking. I miss it. <laughs> um, but I am enjoying this. So Thanksgiving's coming. And on Sunset, there's a, bull, uh, a billboard for a horror Thanksgiving movie. Yes. Oh. Another intro in a row. We are mentioning Halloween and horror. <laughs> <laughs> Not on purpose, even. This is sick. Wait, what is it? What is it? Um, So the billboard is like a giant turkey and then in it is a giant bloody knife and the handle is like sticking out. So that's exciting. And I'm on um the IMDB of it right now. And it says, after a Black Friday riot ends in tragedy, a mysterious Thanksgiving-inspired killer terrorizes Plymouth, Massachusetts, the birthplace of the infamous holiday. What's the movie called? Thanksgiving. Oh, it's just called Thanksgiving? Yes. <laughs> And what other... I mean, there's a, that movie with... um, What the fuck is her name? Married to Tom Cruise, Dawson's Creek. Katie Holmes. Katie Holmes. Katie Holmes is in, like, Pieces of April. That's a Thanksgiving meal. But, like, what other Thanksgiving movies are there? But the main character, okay, is Rick Hoffman from Suits. The guy that everyone oh. loves. Um, so that's exciting to see him in a starring vehicle. But Gina Gershon, Patrick Dempsey... Um, so I'm, I'm excited. Yeah, I'm looking. Oh my it's God, like, Tim oh, Dillon's at, in it. Tim Dillon's in no. it. No. Yes. Oh my, oh my God. God. <laughs> that's wild. That's so
0: wild. Wait, the ultimate Thanksgiving movie is Adam's Family Values, where they do a Thanksgiving play. Remember? No, I, do. oh, you're right. Yes, I do remember. I do at remember. At the little I summer do. camp that they go to that's, and yeah. I'm going to argue Bransky. with you.
1: That's not a Thanksgiving movie. There's a Thanksgiving scene. Scene. Okay. That is different.
0: Um, But when I... You're right, though, because when I look it up, like, it's literally like a Charlie Brown Thanksgiving. I mean, there's really just not Thanksgiving movies.
1: Which is wild because it is, like...
0: There's a movie called Friendsgiving from 2020 on Tubi that has Wanda Sykes, (laughs) and it looks like Malin Ackerman, Kat Dennings, Jane
1: Seymour, Aisha Tyler, Christine Taylor... (laughs) Dude, so we can check that out. I'm excited to see. Oh, there will be no leftovers. That's the little tagline. There will be no leftovers. Cause you're dead, wow. bitch. They're not even paying us for this. But I'm excited. Oh yeah. So I'm looking at a photo of Patrick Dempsey like shooting off a gun at a Black Friday sale. Yeah, <laughs> at at Right Mart at Right Mart. Listen, I'm gonna watch it. I'm seeing it. I honestly a genre creating movie like. I don't know why Thanksgiving doesn't have more movies. I guess Christmas is more universal and Thanksgiving is just for one um, country and it's based on, you know, lies and slaughter. Yeah. <sighs> You're wearing a fun sweater. Oh, thanks. Stripey. Yeah. Where is <laughs> I've never seen that before.
0: Oh, you haven't? I think I've worn it around you. I got it off my mom group. You know where I do most of my shopping.
1: <laughs> I ordered so much stuff on ASOS and I always hate this when I return more than I keep. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I mean, it's shopping. fun getting money back. Like, that's exciting because yeah. then it feels like you're winning something. But uh, it <laughs> when is the refund th- hits. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> is that a real song? <laughs> no, I made it up. <laughs> I like it when the refund hits. Um, (laughs) I just keep looking at this Thanksgiving trailer over and over. They got me. Dudes, billboards get me. That's how I went to go see Incubus. I saw a billboard.
0: You know what I never understand? Because they do this in LA all the time. They put up billboards and it says sold out. Oh. Is that to get you to go to like resale sites? Like I remember the first time I ever saw that. It was on Sunset. There was an out like Dua Lipa was doing two nights somewhere. This was right when Dua Lipa was like hitting in 20 like 17. And it was like Dua Lipa, two shows, sold out. I was like, what's the point of this billboard? Take it down, put up another artist. Well, it's like, still
1: PR and buzz. And I because I yeah. wonder if like the people who own the forum own the billboard, you know? Where, yeah, yeah. You're right, it is PR and buzz, though. It looks good to be sold out, you know? Yeah, the only thing I thought of was like that new casino that's advertising so much in LA, Yamaha or whatever. Yamaha. Yamava. Jared yamaha. is always joking. When are you taking me to Yamava? <laughs> so for me, when it's like, when their shows are sold out, it's like, oh, well, who else is playing at yamaha You know what I mean? Like- Oh, I haven't been to the forum. At, who else is at the forum? Or maybe like that too. But yeah. the billboards do work on me. Now I now I have just two examples, but um, I'm sucked in. Yeah, I, I basically want to go to Yamava and start gambling. Um, at these, I don't want I don't to. Even know what they I, are. I'm actually embarrassed. I lost too much money a few months ago in Vegas. I really did. I did. You still have a $100 chip to Paris that you forgot to cash. So never forget that. Put that in the plus column. <laughs> <laughs> no, I um I'm I went too hard. I went too hard. I would say. But I love gambling. C'est la vie, whatever. <laughs> Chic, c'est la vie. What are you going to do, you know? Um
0: uh, money well, can't buy your class. We are Well, should we I mean, there's been some Bravo gossip going around, but I know like we're in the time machine. This is going to be so old by the time we get to it. But do we think that this is the end for
1: Ramona Singer? Do we think Ramona is gone now? I mean, listen, I don't think she should have even been on Legacy. Like, yeah, she. I thought that was crazy. She is the reason the reboot happened. She is, uh, but is it a testament to like how she is a star? Because I don't know. But I guess a lot of them needed to be put on pause. I don't know. I just, uh, she should have been done. She's a bad person. We've celebrated her enough. We've had fun times. It's done. She will never grow. She will never learn. But they're
0: giving the Lifetime Achievement Award to an anti-vaxxer named Vicky Gumbelson. So I don't know what
1: their deal is with who they take off and who they don't. They don't want to take anyone off. Yeah. It's only public. They knew about this. They knew this happened. Bravo does not care. Bravo only does when, you know, if they're pushed against the wall. They straight right. up had an assault on Below Deck down under this year and didn't have a reunion because they didn't want to talk about it. Bravo did not mention it once. Like, they don't want to. They don't want to. They're not interested. So nuts. But yeah,
0: I've been like a long time sort of like Ramona hater. I just like don't find her that funny or good. I know she stirs up good drama or whatever on their show, but she sucks so bad to me. And she just seems like a moron. And I know a lot of them... I don't know. Some of the other ones are more. The the morons really bother me. Teresa, Ramona, like, I think they're dumb and I don't like to watch them. But if you don't know what we're talking about, basically, Ramona used a racial slur in a text to a producer saying that I never said the racial slur and then wrote the racial slur. But she has already said like anti Semitic stuff. She's already said racist stuff on the show. And so this was, I guess, the nail in the coffin for her. But.
1: She's just a bad person because everyone can, like, f- like. she just... There's never accountability with her. There's never understanding. She's always... A, I mean, what she did in the Berkshires even, lying about having visions of her past abuse to get on a private jet to party with Molly Sims in the Hamptons. Like, she knows no low. She pulled up to Heather's house that trip and went, is this the house or the garage? Like, she's yeah. a bad... You know, that's not even... The hurtful sh- like That's just, it, it's, you know, the way you do one thing is the way you do everything. As Mama would has taught us all. I don't know. It's, it, they're also really arbitrary with their decisions with Bravo. It's always what they can get away. If they don't have to kick someone off, they don't, want to you know what I mean wait did you watch the newest Salt Lake aka four weeks ago you guys no Monica's mom is a problem
0: yeah I saw a couple memes and I was like uh oh it's sitting on my DVR though I'm gonna watch it like as soon as we're done right now
1: it's bad text me right after like the it is the mom is bad anyone that took the mom's side at that Easter thing you you better be walking the back now she is bad should I DM Monica about it? She follows me. <laughs> we
0: follow each other. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Watch like, it and DM. Hey, I'm sorry your mom sucks. Um, yo, I don't know. I gotta, I gotta watch it. I could, I didn't like her from the last episode where she was like trying to get screen time and like apologizing for her daughter and stuff. I hated that. But like we'll blah, Well,
1: blah. it's classic narcissist stuff. If I've learned anything from TikTok, where it's like, you want, um, we know someone like this, but where you want like strangers to like you over the people in your life. Like you're very like, oh, I'm so, oh, I am like polite to everyone, but the real people that know you know the real you because you don't care. Like they care so much about the perception that strangers have of them. And that was like such a clear thing watching Monica do that. (sighs) Or Monica's mom, I apologize.
0: Yeah, Monica's mom. Oh, I okay. I just clicked on a tab on my computer that I realize I have up as a to-read thing, which is the big quote-unquote ra- Bravo Reckoning article did. that's in Vanity Fair. I did started, you read any
1: of this? I did, and it was so boring. I stopped. I go, I don't care. I don't care. I want yeah. them drunk. Like, Danny Pellegrino was just on Watch What Happens Live, and he kept saying it. Like, um, Andy would ask him for opinions, and he would be like, I mean, it's horrible, but I love it on my TV and I'm grateful to have it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it is, it, it's fucked entertainment. All I'm watching is sex crimes and women fighting. Like, that is my full existence. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but this, epi- this, this article starts out with a housewife waking up in her own pee from peeing the bed. Who are they talking about? It's in New York because they said the same thing happened to them in Cartagena the year before. Yeah, but they're so... And this is a Mexico trip.
1: Yeah, but so they it's... won't reveal because they want to keep working. The line was like, I still want to keep my dream nightmare of a job.
0: Dream nightmare. And Leah
1: Leah McSweeney is suing Bravo. I just read yesterday. I you know. hate her. She's in my top, top least favorite housewife. She's a liar. Like, there is no way the producers ever forced her to stay. And she even admitted that the producer said, you can leave, but his tone made it seem like she couldn't. And it's like, no, yeah. you could have. Basically what she claimed on the trip, the girl's trip to Thailand was during a Hamptons trip on her um, season of Real Houses of New York, her grandmother was ill and dying and that the producers made her film and wouldn't let her go home. And then her grandma died. And it's like, There's no fucking way. We've watched death on this show. We know these women. And like, we know the show inside and out. There's no fucking way. The producers might try to stir up trouble, but they can't, like, they're gonna let you go home. They let you take care of your family. They shut things down. Like, even Southern Charm, like, they are respectful of their personal lives. And maybe I'm, like, she admitted to lying. It's like, I don't know. She's also yeah. cl- she's getting disability, like she's trying to get disability, like that's Bro. what it is. Because she had like you know in Thailand she was sick, and Bravo was straight up said we make every accommodation for our housewife, and she is the most accommodating one that we have to deal with. Wow. It's just fucked for me to side with a giant company that I know I'm sure does shady shit and gets people wasted and keeps them hung or whatever. But like, I just can't. I really am not a Leah McSweeney fan at all. She was bad for the franchise. We don't want you on TV. We don't want you on the shows. It's not Bravo. It's not a lawsuit. We don't like you. That's why you're not on the show.
0: I the personally fans don't have like not you. liked her from the beginning because yes. I don't understand how she has a fucking brand called Married to the Mob when she has nothing to do with the mafia. She's not Italian. Like, I just think the whole her whole brand is built on nothing.
1: Bullshit. And it's at leisure. She's just a fraud. Yeah. I, and not interesting and not fun. And the she had one little catchphrase and people loved it. Do you remember what, what it was? It was like, I elevate this or something. Oh, and people uh, I loved it. Yeah, I elevate this shit. Uh, yeah, people like really clung to it in a way where I was like, what? Clip. That's what I yeah. love. <laughs> Clip forever, baby. Make it nice. Clip.
0: Um, okay. All we right. Gotta, well, I got to go starting. because I have to read this fucking 12 million word article. Like I'm literally scrolling the whole time I'm talking right now, just scrolling fast and it's still going. This is the longest article of all time. But one quick it's reminder. Vanity Fair,
1: baby. It's
0: Vanity Fair. Nothing can be less than 12,000 words. All right. Uh, one quick reminder go to that's messed up live.com to see uh, where we are performing for the remainder of the year. We've got Sacramento on December 13th, New York on December 16th. There's a six o'clock show and there's a nine o'clock show. The nine o'clock show was just added, so grab tickets to that. Come to both shows. We're doing different episodes. Uh, and then Philly on the 17th, and then we'll be in Seattle on the 7th of January for the Wet City Comedy Festival. Um, So yeah, that's MessedUpLive.com has all the ticket links for those and that's it. Want to get started? I would love that. Let's do it.
1: Okay. Today we are doing Manhattan Vigil, season 14, episode 5. The episode came out in 2012 The time code of this episode, it says 1999 and Waiting by Nora Jones is playing. So we have a music montage intro. We've gotten a few of those in the SVU history. A poster is being hung up of a missing boy, Hector Rodriguez, and a uniformed cop, a.k.a. Alex Kropofsky, a.k.a. um, Ray from Girls. And the mom is Tina from The Bear. Holy shit. Um, And she has a tear in her eye and she's frantically hanging posters of her missing son. Now it's 2000 and there are stuffed animals, flowers, candles in front of a giant mural for Hector and his mom is still there suffering. 2006, the mural is still up and we see a young couple with a stroller walk by. 2009, the mural is still up and we see a boy on a scooter with his young parents walking behind him. The couple does not like each other and you can tell even from a music montage, quick walk. (laughs) Now it's 2012, the year the episode came out and we see this couple again. The dad is in a baseball cap with a glove and he's rushing to pick up his son and chatting on the phone constantly. Just like, oh, and and I'm running late the mural of Hector is still there. So then the woman from the couple that doesn't like each other that's connected to the Yankee boy, he she opens the door and starts screaming at him immediately. You see your son one day a week and you can't be on time, which is a great point. I'm sorry. Yeah. If it's once a week, ugh, <laughs> like you said. Yeah. Um, and I love this actress. She's actually one of my favorite SVU episodes from season two called Parasites. The boy is happy to see his dad and thinks he's going to catch, um, you know, a ball. They're very excited. And so many people keep calling the dad. And I wonder what his job is that it's nonstop calls on a Sunday, like to the gate. Like, I, I'm just very curious. They rush out and the dad is still scrolling his phone while walking, holding his son's hand. And the son is such a little cutie. And this is when I realize it's all the gear says New York. It's not Yankees. It's not Mets. It all says New York and all the people (laughs) on the train as well. It is not a specific team. And I just love that even Dick Wolf couldn't clear. The Yankees. Yankees. (laughs) Like, what the fuck? Um, Do you recognize the guy playing the dad? No I looked him up. I mean, I, he's he's working, but he didn't mean anything to me. no. He's like, um,
0: he's a theatery guy. Like I saw him in Shakespeare in the park the one time I went to Shakespeare in the park. He was in it with Jesse Tyler Ferguson from Modern Family. But I forgot what they were in. It was what did we see? It was like, do you get tickets for that? or is it like people line up, or what is it? You have to wake up so early to get like a ticket for it. Like we were in line at 6 a.m. in Central Park. It was crazy. But I was like, I think it was a couple years before I moved. And I was like, I got to do this while I still like can, you know? So what do you do? uh, Like at 6 a.m. you run to the park. You go to the park and you go to like the area where they do the Shakespeare. And there's like a line that people bring like lawn chairs and shit. And everybody's just sitting there waiting to like get. And then you get a ticket or, su- or a number. You get something and then you come back and you get, you get in. Damn. So every day they release the tickets for the night of. I think that's how it was when I went. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's so um, cool. But yeah, he did like, what? oh my God. And I'm trying to like look up. He's done a lot of Shakespeare, this guy. And I saw like, um, not Twelfth Night, but one of those ones where it's like a big farce with like cross-dressing and people are like, nobody knows who the other person is. That's what I saw him in. Hamish Linklater, yeah.
1: Yes, well, you know, now that you say the name, I did see his name and I was like, are you a Nepo? But he's not, <laughs> he's not. <laughs> okay, so they're walking. Oh, he's, ma- he's married to Lily Robb. Who's that? I didn't know
0: that. She's, you'd know her if you saw her. She's in all the American horror stories, or she was. She kind of has like a Stevie, she was like the Stevie Nicks witch vibe in the Coven one. Yay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think she's been in an SVU
1: also. All right. We did go down an IMDb, like um, Fever Dream. Um, we got to know how to do <laughs> Shakespeare in the Park, very, you know, with every detail. And we are back. Okay. We are back. The New York sports ball team is about to play. Yeah. (laughs) But if you are one of the listeners who don't like asides, good luck. Okay. Sorry about that. (laughs) Whatever. So the little boy's cute. They're walking with all these fans. And um, he turns to his son and goes, you want a treat? Even though the mom did say, please limit his junk food. He's been getting a lot of stomach aches. But, you know, he decides to go get a little treat. So now they're on the 110th Street B train stop. And there's a pickpocket type person doing a little trick on the dad. And so he drops the money, spins him around. And as the dad bends down to pick up the cash, the man grabs the son Wyatt and pushes him onto the train. And the doors close. Holy shit. The dad, My nightmare. Yeah. I literally have been babysitting kids
0: where I've taken them on the subway and I'm like, what would happen if the doors closed? Like, you know, it's so scary.
1: Have you seen, there's a video um, on the internet that circulated where like a mom, something was happening and she accidentally left the stroller on the train. But then the camera's on the next train stop. It's like kind of like a drunk guy, but he took the stroller out and was just like hanging out with the kid till the mom came. Aww. and then the mom came and like hugged him and it was and it was all caught on the security cameras. So it was uh, I want to see that video to cleanse my palate from watching this scene, yeah. <laughs> I help you. I mean, I once helped like a passed out guy on the train. It's everything is dangerous. Don't trust anybody, but also be a helpful citizen. Okay. Yeah. So um, the dad's obviously flipping out. He's screaming. There's nothing he can do. He starts running, trying to push at the door. And then he opens the door that says sound for emergencies, which we know is a blatant lie. Like everyone yeah. uses those doors all the time. Nothing will ring at all. But the alarm is blaring. He runs up the stairs. He's on the phone with 911. He's screaming, help, help. My son has been taken. Benson and Omar, tomorrow. Um are meeting Cragen on the scene and there are a lot of like white shirts going on. What's going on, Benson asks. Cragen's like seven-year-old Wyatt Morris snatched from father. The transit, like everyone, all the trains are stopped. Everyone's en route to the game. And it's like, well, who is this kid? And the father is David Morris of the Morris Brothers real estate family. And Benson goes, holy shit, they own the whole West Side. Any ransom demands? Not yet. Benson looks around and it's like, whoa, this neighborhood has changed And then she stops and stares and it's a flashback to young Benson and she's looking up at Hector's mom and holding the flyer in her hand. And Cragen calls her out of her little trance. She says, it's the same neighborhood um, a missing boy in 1989, Hector Ramirez, a Dominican kid. And Craigen goes, oh, yeah, yeah. The custody t- case, the dad took him back to the DR. Benson turns around and goes, we don't know that. The mother never saw her son again. And she gets a little emotional. And Amaro says, well, this kid's missing now. But what if they're connected? But they are blowing her off and we are on the credits. And it just hit me how long we talked about actors. Okay, we're back <laughs> on the streets And Rollins and Finn join the team. The trains are stopped and there's no sign of the boy. Finn goes, oh, if people don't make this game, there's going to be a riot. And Cragen goes, I don't give a shit. There's a kid on the train. Okay. Well, they're hoping. I mean, best case scenario, the kid's still on the train. They search every car, talk to every passenger. Amaro says the dad wants to go uptown and help the search. And Cragen's like, absolutely not. And then he looks at Amaro and Benson and goes, and whatever's happening between the two of you, get over it. Do you remember oh, yeah, what this they, is?
0: They were like, hold on. Let me, let me find it. Hold on one second.
1: Because I kept trying to search and I couldn't figure it out. And this is really close to after, you know, the huge, the Dahlia case, you know, with the Kragan being framed and then the sex yeah. workers. So, but I didn't know what was happening.
0: I mean, the episode right before this is called Acceptable Loss. And it sounds like Benson kind of like, gets creative with an investigation. I do remember there being a time where Benson and Amaro, like, fought and were, like, mad at each other. And it, it I think it was during all the Carissa stuff. Yeah, the Carissa. Yeah, I think Carissa, that's what it is. It's like, they, she thought... He thought she wasn't, like, backing him. And she's like, Amaro, you, like, met with this girl. Like, no one saw you.
1: Now she's saying you tried to hook up with her. You know, I think he's pissed at her for, like, not backing him. Um, But before anything else, we hear a guttural scream. David, David, where's Wyatt? The mom is running up at the dad. The detective split them up. She's screaming, what did you do? What happened? The dad is so defensive with Amaro. Uh, It could have easily happened to her, too good one. It didn't. And I could tell you're a rich kid because you can't take fucking responsibility for anything. Always blaming someone else. Amaro is like, describe the dude, white, black, age. He says, white, 40s, cap, glasses. I'm bad with faces. Benson is with the mom and she's like, he sees his son on Sundays. He was supposed to be there at nine. He was two hours late. Benson is like, so he only sees his son once a week. Does that make him upset? And she goes, oh, he's always upset. Everything to him is a negotiation. Benson's like, okay, your ex is very wealthy. Have you noticed anyone suspicious? Anyone trying to talk to you or Wyatt? She goes, no. Oh my God, what if this is is a ransom? We'll pay, we'll pay. And then it hits the mom what is actually happening. She starts gasping. She collapses. She clings onto Olivia and cries into her shoulders. My note says uh, soldiers, but I did say shoulders. (laughs) Munch is in a suit that for sure looks like he's going to a bat mitzvah. It is wild. Like, I know women have a lot of unfair um, things. You know, you got to shave your legs. You can't have a unibrow, whatever. But wearing a suit seems like it sucks. I would hate it. In the summer, you have to wear a tie, a shirt, and a jacket. The layer, I just like, suits to me are disgusting. Okay. So, uh, you know, we're doing flyers, flyers, flyers. Taru can't track the kid's phone. Rollins comes in. Every witness saw a different type of person. Someone's like, oh, black man, white woman. So we can't trust anyone, but it is all hands on deck. There's no video from the station. And then there's a comment like, well, oh yeah, we don't give people up their nice things. And that it's like, oh, no, the neighborhood's actually really changed. It's, it's not a war zone anymore. Um, and it was when Hector was missing. And Rollins actually looked shocked that they would even live up there. But also, Morningside is such a nice neighborhood. But I obviously yeah. moved to New York during this time, not before. But it's by Columbia and stuff. It is really... Yeah beautiful. But also they explain that they live there because his family owns the building and he doesn't actually live there. His ex-wife is living there and they own half the block. They're in court every three months with custody stuff. So we get a wild Benson theory that maybe David got tired of paying for two sets of legal fees and kidnaps his own son. Amaro says, you know, she does, you know, the mom's trying to make him look bad. And Benson goes, oh yeah, she talks shit on him the moment, like, she got there. You know, why are you two hours late? But also, two hours is a lot. And then they say at 11, and then Rollins at clicks goes, 11, the train didn't leave until 12.15. Cragen asks Amaro if the dad says they stopped anymore. Amaro says no, even though he asked him about it. So now daddy boy is here at the precinct and he didn't say anything because he didn't think it mattered that they went to a pastry shop. And he's like, oh, you didn't want your wife to know he was having sweets. And he's like, listen, I just wanted my son to have a special day. The divorce has been really hard on him. And Benson goes, can anyone confirm it? He goes, yes, the hostess. I've been seeing her. Ah, your son is missing and you're worried if your ex-wife finds out you're fucking a hostess, it's like truly despicable behavior. (laughs) Like the narcissism popping through. You can't even like stop to care about your son over your own needs. It's really, really sickening to me. So she also used to babysit for Wyatt. So he's been fucking the babysitter. So we get the full picture of what's going on here. And now we're headed to my dear Lady Anne Bakery. There's a hot blonde who's denying seeing him. And Rollins is like, honey, we know you're involved. And David's like, stop this. She asks if Lori knows. And Finn is like, that's on you. Or we don't care. Now, can we be serious? There's a missing boy. And also they're divorced. You can fuck anyone. Like, it's fine. They were eating muffins and had skim milk. And they're like, any guy with baseball hats She goes, yeah, all of them, duh, it's the playoffs Finn is like, okay, but are there, were there any losers? A singleton, a lone man Was there not a psycho? And she's like, actually, I do remember a singleton And so he ordered a tea and a glass Got up um, when they did and left $2 So we have some footage from a nearby boutique It's not really enough for even their fake technology So that's pretty (laughs) wild. They can't enhance it even. Um, uh, But it's a maroon hat and sunglasses and it kind of looks like Sandoval if you ask me. But we're in the thinking room and Cragen's doing what he does best, questions and assignments. Anything from traffic cams or ATMs, still checking. Munch is like, fuck this, three hours, no ransom. This is a predator. Are you getting deja vu, he asks Liv. And Finn goes, not this again. And Benson's annoyed. It's like, it's the same neighborhood. Hector's on a bus, Wyatt's on a subway. Cragen's like, it's two different worlds different families and Munch is like exactly we had about one tenth of the resources for Hector Amaro leans in and goes wait A bus? Benson goes, yeah. And then a witness saw him with his hair blonde. Cragen gets serious. Yeah. So the dad can seek him out of the country. Case closed. And his bald head looks extra smooth in this episode. It is really wild. Like really (laughs) like squishy and smooth. So Benson and Amaro go talk to divorced parents. The dad doesn't recognize the dude. The mom is pissed. She took him to the bakery. He had breakfast. Why would you do that? You know? And they go, okay, so someone knows your routine. Who was following you? What's going on? She says, no, she hasn't noticed. And the only time she's not with him is during school and Sundays. And the dad's like, yeah, I didn't see anything. And the mom starts to yell, of course you didn't see anything. You're a fucking clueless. Everyone hates you here. Everyone on the block with all this construction and condos. He's like, no, they don't. Amaro Prize. and is like, what do you mean? She goes, when he goes to those community board meetings, the whole room wants to kill him. He's like, oh, come on. It's Morningside Heists. These people need to get out of the 60s. was like, David, look again. Have you ever seen this guy at one of those meetings? He goes, No, I don't see anyone at those meetings. I tune them out. So Benson asks, um, You tune out a room full of people who accuse you of pricing them out of their own homes? He says, if he lets them control the agenda, nothing gets built, okay? And it would still be a slum if it wasn't for me and my rich daddy. Amaro gets a call. He turns and asks for Liv. The mom is panicked. What? What? And we cut to a bodega (laughs) owner pissed because he's losing business. Munch and Rollins are like, dude, um, a couple said they saw the boy here. So did you see him? He's like, yeah, yeah. Lots of kids come here. I can't place him. And he's still like so sorry about the like mad about the business. And... Finn walks in and is like, well, you better think harder because we just found the boy's cell phone outside in your dumpster. So now Munch is a little angrier. Want to try again? And then he goes, oh yeah, I remember him. And this is the thing. Like, why is it so hard to just help people find a kid? Well, so I, I, you know, I thought about it a little bit. So one, it's like, one, just help. They'll open your store faster. Yeah. But two, you know, he seems like an immigrant and a lot of cultures don't really trust the cops. Right. I get that. And they don't want to get involved and they don't want to get killed by a mob or something. Like, you know, you don't right, know what's right. going on. So in that sense, I understand. But it is a missing kid. Like, yeah. No, so he starts spilling though. He has all this right on the tip of his tongue. The man had glasses and a cap and black hair. They show him the pic. He goes, I can't tell, but I remember the son because he acted up. So he got bought a candy and some hair dye blonde. Cragen, cough, cough. Now he's really gonna be mad because they're like, call in backup. We need you at the station. So he's pissed. So he needs to call in, you know, someone that's gonna work the desk, the snacks, and he's gonna go talk to a sketch artist. Rollins and Munch are like, "Uh uh-oh, copycat. Blonde-haired eye was never released to the press. Finn is like, don't make me say I told you so. And now we're back at the office and Munch is looking through a box labeled Hector Rodriguez. Flashback to season one Munch and he's really like feeling this case. And Cragen's like, you still here? And he snacks back to reality and is like, I never left. And again, all hands on deck. This is a huge case. This is a rich white boy. And this is not in line with the ethics of our podcast, but holy shit, Benson's rack looks insane in this white shirt. (laughs) Kragen is still not ready to start chasing ghosts quite yet and is like dude come on the blonde eye isn't enough for you like get out the Ouija board and let's get the ghosts going security footage of old tunnels underneath Columbia University got a hit Um, there's a sighting of them and the boy is blonde and the man is dragging him so the Columbia tunnels are the last sighting. No leads from the tip line or other boroughs or the FBI. What is going on? And Munch is like, "We're going back in time, bitch. I don't care." And he starts push pinning into a cork board, and then it goes back to season one. Benson push pinning into the cork board, and I said, "How did they do this?" And I found out. I so you did. Yeah. Okay. So um, I looked it up and it's an IMDb trivia. So we hope it's credible. You know, we find mistakes in there all the time. Um, The director, wait, who did we say where they're like, oh my God, your granddaughter's amazing. And she was like, I'm not related to that woman. It was Amanda Plummer.
0: No, it was when we were talking to Michael Learned. We were like, we heard that your goddaughter is Amanda Plummer. She's like, why does everybody keep saying that? It's not true.
1: (laughs) so that was funny so the director of the episode jean d so Sa- 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 it seems french i'm not saying it signazak get the Sa-gon-zak. fuck away from it Sa-gon-zak. Sa-gon-zak. but i feel like there's gotta be a missing continent Con- yeah. <laughs> there's a missing continent stuck in his last name where have all the polar bears gone okay we talked about polar bears didn't we or was i with another friend like Maybe if, another friend. If it's brown, lay down. If it's black, fight back. If it's white, you're out, like you're dead on sight. Really? Yeah, because I think you can like try to get away from the other bears. But if a polar bear knows you're there, like they will hunt and stalk you till you are dead. Oh, no. And if you already see one, that means they've known you've been there for, for a while. And I didn't know that because they are the prettiest. But I always think of the ones at the, at the Central Park Zoo that look
0: depressed. Of course. They're always just like lying there because they can't tear any people apart and people are just
1: <laughs> surrounding them. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I didn't know that. But yeah, I like... Um, bear TikTok has entered the chat. Okay. Bear so. TikTok. And
0: what about Cocaine Bear? Definitely run.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> or or, throw, or give it some Coke. Okay, so... Jean de Saganzak. I'll just say it as Midwest as possible. He didn't want to use makeup and clothing and instead used an experimental technique. But I wonder if it's still experimental or if they use it or whatever. But it merges the episode scenes with footage from the show's first season to make it seem like it's a flashback that never occurred. But isn't that just special effects? and mixing the scenes? Well, I was noticing, like, one, because I saw something in
0: the wiki, in, like, the fandom wiki about how, about, like, where some of these scenes came from, and, like, the one of Liv, like, pushing a thing up onto a board. She does do that in another episode, so it's like he uses the footage of that, but you never actually see Liv and her face with that flyer. You just see her tack something up, and then the camera goes to the flyer. So I feel like they're maybe using little
1: tricks like that definite tricks but you know it was experimental when this came out and i wonder yeah. if this is like not experimental at all or it's already outdated or like what it even is we're just so advanced technologically but the scene you're talking about it's from the episode bad blood and oh. that's the one where it's like these bro- the brother's a building manager and you know he's raping his brother and then munch is from episode 21 of season one called nocturne nocturne ah yeah so that's the ones they used and it is cool I mean it is cool I really enjoyed the little trick that he did um and this episode was the 300th episode Ooh, that we're watching okay so the technology is cool they go back and forth well because not you know when I was in nope and got kicked by a horse you know I didn't actually get kicked by a horse but he immediately was able to show me how the two scenes melded together Like, they filmed the horse and then they filmed me. And then before I left, Jordan Peele was like, look at this. And on a little monitor, he showed me the footage of the horse kicking me. Oh, my gosh. That quickly they were able to put it together. So I'm wondering if it's the same technology, if there's any filmmakers, let us know. Okay. So then Kragen still won't admit he could be wrong. And Benson's like, come on, dog. Like, what the fuck? And they start talking over Kragen and they decide to like push with Hector and they don't give a fuck about him. Also, Kragen makes Samaro go with Benson, not Munch, even though she wanted to go with Munch. And but he uh makes munch go through paperwork so now maybe they'll get to the bottom of the rift basically they're walking down the streets of New York and he's like listen obviously Captain wants us to partner up again and be like the way it was and they agree to be down and work together and then they walk past the mural so then Benson says how she never thought that the father took Hector but she was a newbie back then and she kind of let herself get stampeded and Hector's mom never moved because she thinks that Hector might come home so they go up to her apartment and she makes them read out loud a bio that he wrote for school I'm assuming Um, but she wanted uh, to to remind Benson who Hector was and that he was a really good boy. He liked T-ball, he had asthma, and he loved chess. Amaro starts talking about the custody dispute and basically he wanted to raise him in a Pentecostal church and her family was Catholic. I mean... (laughs) My husband was raised in the Pentecostal church and I would have taken my son my children
0: to another country if he if he told me I had to do that.
1: <laughs> but isn't this did you guys not talk about it before? That's what I was thinking the exact same thing. I was like you
0: guys just didn't ever mention how you'd want to raise kids. But I guess people
1: get pregnant too without yeah. really having those combos. Yeah. But the the church argument broke them up, um, but he didn't take Hector. Amaro's like, you're in touch with him. She goes, well, his family and he doesn't have my son. Somebody else does. Her voice raises and she gets mad and she's like, this is about that missing rich boy that's been all over the news. He was the same age as Hector. Amaro's like, do you recognize this man? Shows the bad blurry photo. And she's like, did he take Hector? And when they say, I don't know, she goes, fuck you. JK but she's pissed and she's just like did you just come here to torture me people write to her she says psychics call out to her with info people reach out he's out there somewhere she said that she throws out all the letters and everything people reach out to her except one letter that she sent to Benson and Benson's like wait what I didn't get a letter from you what are you talking about she goes oh yeah 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 you're right the the guy told me to actually write it's a cold case and they're like who told you that and she goes well a cop um, she says wrote to her He didn't sign his name, but he said to keep pressuring his bosses about Hector or it would happen again. And she got it on his 13th birthday. So, but Cold Case gave up just like you did, she said. She walks to the window to look out at it. We cut to another office. We go um, with the boys, Amaro and Munch, out for business. A woman's like, oh, SVU, I would love to move over to your unit, live bodies for a change. And they compare how their different jobs haunt them. She walks into a room of boxes and opens one and takes out a little evidence bag, and it is the letter. And the letter says, stay on them, Dolores. NYPD should go to bed every night with the cries of your missing child in their ears, lest more flames burn the innocent. The Hmm. prince traced back to an auxiliary cop who said he was off his meds. And an auxiliary cop means someone that's a volunteer police, reserve, an assistant, civil guards, part-time reserves. And Munch Out Loud goes, Steve Lomatin? He was on Hector's search team. He's a bed bug. That's not good. Pretty harsh. (laughs) Harsh. Harsh. For a New Yorker
0: to call someone (laughs) a bed bug, like, you're the worst thing imaginable. (laughs)
1: Wait, have you seen the TikTok where it's like um, people are pretending to be the French be- bedbugs? They're just... <laughs> <laughs> they have little berets. Bonjour. Yeah. Bonjour. yeah. <laughs> Do you th- Yeah. <laughs> I always... I feel like I... Once you did the impression, I thought of the Mucinex guy. And like how funny <laughs> that this little booger became so kind of beloved. Oh, uh, yeah. And the Nacinex bee, Antonio Banderas.
0: I don't know about the bee. Oh, remember the bee? he would be like, "I return my flower."
1: A changed bee. Oh, I did not know yeah. that. But now I'm thinking back. Now I'm thinking about the Geico cavemen, and we have to put a stop to my brain. Um, could he? Do you remember that they got a TV show?
0: Y- insane, <laughs> truly insane. Like I could not believe that the Geico cavemen got a got a TV <laughs> show, and yet Flo does not get a TV show. I'd rather watch a TV show with Flo and her weird family.
1: Yeah. I hope flows flows live in the dream. Flows people are like, but she can't be in other things. I go, I'd take 15 million to never act again. Yeah. I really would. <laughs> I really would. People dress as her for Halloween. She's famous forever. But then Amaro asks about the bed bug. Amaro's like, wait, so could he have done it? Munch goes, oh no, he's a real Boo Radley. Doesn't have him <laughs> in it. Doesn't have him, have it in him. Um, but where is he now? So they head to Morningside Park. Benson and Rollins approach him and there's a bustling scene. So many cops, people and this auxiliary cop, a.k.a. Ray Pashansky, that's his character name from Girls, which is hard because it's Alex Karpovsky, K- and it's just too many Eastern European names to keep track of. <laughs> And so he found a cap that looked like Wyatt's and Rollins is like, wow, nice catch. And she does a little light flirt because he is Boo Radley. She doesn't really have to lay it on thick. (laughs) You know, she laid it on more thick to like the little children sociopaths we've met, I feel like, than this guy. So he loves the flirting. So they decide to go to the precinct. He's been in in auxiliary for 15 years in Morningside, even though he lives in Brooklyn and as a security guard at the mall. Who? Cragen is bleak. This is bleak. Cragen is like, oh, come on. He's just likes the neighborhood. <laughs> like, it's not a big deal. And I don't understand why Cragen is so off this episode. Like, did he relapse? I don't get it. Or is he still <laughs> shaken from, you know, the Dahlia situation or Delia?
0: Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's, yeah, he was literally in jail. So maybe he's still not got his groove back, but It is wild for someone to go from Brooklyn to Morningside Heights to be uh, like a volunteer cop. It's an hour and a half, probably, each way.
1: Yeah, and he has a full-time job. Yeah. So Munch is like, are you kidding me, Craig? And he sent the letter and now he found the hat tonight. Are you kidding me? This is fucking shady. And we don't even know if it's Wyatt's. And they're checking the hair strands to check what's up. And then Rollin interrupts with a clip from the news when Hector disappeared and Steve Lomiton is on the news. And he first discovered the missing boy's lunchbox. And he was very emotional about it. And Munch goes, yeah, what are the odds he found Hector's lunchbox and then Wyatt's hat? And Benson's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's a huge secret. Like if he did do it, like... He's really been able to stay under the radar for a long time. And Munch met him back then and was and the Ray Pashansky was like pissed that Munch wasn't treating him like a brother officer. And so Kragen goes, go do it again. So Munch is pumped, and this dude's about to be munched. So he walks in with the dude, and the dude's a nervous Nelly, like, what are you doing here? He's like, oh, I was just about to ask you the same thing. And he goes, you treated me like a scowl, not a cop. You're doing it again. And he's pacing scared away from Munch. And he's like, I said it would happen again, and it did. And Munch is like, yep, and you were right there. He says, I don't need to take this. And he wants to leave. But right at that moment, right at that moment, I've invented a lot of words. Okay. He says, I don't need to take this. And he wants to leave. And right at that moment, Cragen busts in and scolds Munch. And he's confused. And Kragen to Ray from Girls is like, oh my God, Officer Lomaton, I'm so sorry. Sergeant Munch is not running this. These women are, and we appreciate you. So I love this little trick that's been played. And the men leave and he's mad. He's like, oh, what the fuck? He's a sergeant and I can't even be a regular cop. And they're like, listen, thank you so much for finding the hat. And we should have listen to you 13 years ago. And then he looks at Benson and goes, you were there. I remember. And then Rollins begins to flirt and goes, well, I wasn't. And he says, these cases are connected. You don't get it, do you? But it's all in my archive. So they all follow him to his mom's house. Who's like, I thought you were out helping find the boy. And he's like, yeah, mom, they're here to see my work. And then he's like a kid excited to show you their room when you go to their house for the first time. And they run up to the attic. And it's an obsessive, as you can imagine, and then plus five. So a lot of newspapers, red and black tape, yarn, American flags, clippings. And Finn is perfect and says, what the hell is this? A museum for lost boys? So this auxiliary cop, Ray Pashansky, says to Finn, you don't get it, but she does. And, like, you know, nods a little bit to sexy Blondie. And he's con- um, he is convinced that him and Rollins really get each other. And she goes along with it. Yeah, Steve, I think I get it. And she makes a low ponytail look good. And so what now, right? Rollins enters the kitchen and there's a ton of uh, uniform cops are clearing the cupboards, but she needs a moment and kicks them all out. So she starts asking Steve questions and she's just like, you keep saying other boys. So what are these other boys? And he said that he found seven disappearances in 13 years in three counties. Four of the boys were taken by a man wearing a disguise. She cheers him on while Finn is on the phone upstairs talking shit about him to Kragan. (laughs) So now we jump and we're with Hector's mom and she goes, "Oh my god, yeah, I know this like auxiliary cop. No real cops would come up to the beat here." Um and so, you know, they would hang out. He would talk he would talk to Hector. So then it's revealed to her he sent you that letter. She denies it. She goes, "Why would he send me the letter?" We never lost touch. He lights a candle at the memorial every year. He never gave up. Benson is like, I wish you told me about him and his involvement. And she goes, why? Because he didn't give up and you did. And Benson looks guilty, of course. Now they show the photos um, to the divorced parents and she goes, oh my God, it's that pretend cop. And Amaro asks if she knows him and she does from the playground. He talked to all the kids and they all start screaming at each other and fighting and Amaro needs to pull the parents apart. She blames him and it's his fault. Maro's like, I know where you are But you guys need to get the fuck past it So the dad walks to her and they hug And he says I'm sorry She hugs and cries Amaro should be a couples therapist they ask for... Even though he had the, one of the worst marriages. <laughs> the worst marriage of all time. <laughs> <laughs> they ask for him to please bring him back to us. So now the fake cop is upstairs doing his diorama report, but it's all over the ceiling and walls. And Rollins is listening to him go on and on. And she asks, so what's the theory on the connection? And he says, someone is taking boys and then setting fires to get rid of the bodies. And if we don't find Wyatt, another building might burn down. Sh- she turns it on. She's like, wait, look... I I can't wait to report this all back to my squad. They're going to want to know where you were today, though. He says, I'll tell you. And you can verify it, but you can't tell anybody. Rollins agrees. Finn Amaro and Cragen are talking about it and they have him on video at the pharmacy window when Wyatt was snatched. Why would he not tell us that? And it's because he was getting antipsychotic, anxiety, and depression meds. And so he thinks that's going to fuck us his chances of getting into the NYPD. But also, they haven't accepted you in 15 years. Yeah like you're not gonna be a cop, dude. but also on the pharmacy cameras, uh, they, we see that he came back an hour later to buy a child-sized baseball cap that he found on the street. And she remembers because he paid in cash. So this is a full nightmare. He's a wannabe hero on meds, Cragen says. And Rollins defends him and goes, sure, he might be crazy, but it doesn't mean he's wrong. And Munch is like, yeah, there's a connection between the kids and the fires. He's on to something. And Amaro doesn't see it. And Benson also notices one of the fires happened three days before Hector disappeared because she remembers walking past like the burnt lot. Rollins is clacking on the computer and four days later, a building next to the fire claimed there was water damage from that fire. And they put, they got a rush permit for concrete work in their basement. Music plays. Cragen is going to call the DA. Get an emergency order to dig up the slab. And loud drills are shaking down there through the concrete. They dig the pieces of the cement and they found something. They wave over Benson, March, and Amaro. They look down and then at each other. And now it's buzz, buzz. Amaro and Benson are at the door of Hector's mother's house. And they're going to do what Amaro says is the worst part about being a cop. And Benson agrees. Dolores opens the door. They enter her apartment and we may have found, she says, stop, please. I just want one more second to believe that he's coming back. Amaro walks to her and speaks in Spanish and shows her the photo of his backpack. It's his. Where did you... And she stops you for asking the full question and she cries. Oh, my baby. She falls into Amaro's arms and then goes to her altar to cry. Um, And it's really, really sad. And she's an incredible actress and I'm just so happy for her being in The Bear. (laughs) And I hope she wins a fucking Emmy this year. Did she get nominated? I wonder. Whatever. Uh, she just deserves everything. Back to the office, and her name is Liza. I think it's Liza, though. Wait, do you know who she's married to? Angel from Dexter. No. Yes, um, and he's been on SVU as well. Hold on, let's uh, let's put this all together. Angel, <laughs> yo Dex, we found a body in La Piscina.
0: Yeah, my <laughs> Angel, what a character.
1: La- okay, so do you think it's Liza or Liza? Liza Colon Zayas. Zayas? Oh, yeah, Zayas, because he's, what's his name? David Zayas. They've been together since 1998. What a cute fucking couple. Oh, and so the episode that her husband was in was Protection in um, SVU, season three, episode 12, if you guys
0: want to put it all together. I'm so
1: glad I remembered that they were married because I feel like that's such a cute couple alert. We have a lot of cute couples in this. A lot of cute after couples. So now we're back at the office for another tragic day at SVU. Benson's getting off the phone with Warner, who looked at the dental records and dyed hair, and they finally found Hector. Fractured hyoid bone in the neck, so he was strangled. And he leads on the slab. So... And this gets a little confusing. I had to watch this a few times. Yeah, this so, episode is confusing. Yeah. Um. So if any of you are real estate people, <laughs> let <laughs> us know. So in 99, that building was owned by Davidson LLC, which was an overseas company and the only building they owned. And then they sold it off five years later and dissolved the LLC. They sell it to Morningside LLC, who go on to acquire three additional parcels on the block. And all of these businesses were were SRO hotels, tenements, and they were emptied out and converted into, you know, these modern condos. And then Munch puts it together. These are all fronts. The buyer didn't want the sellers to know that the block is in play. So Morningside was behind the front all along. Who are they? Well, the condo managing agents are Sam and Frank Morris, David's father and uncle. Hector was buried in a building that was owned by Wyatt's grandfather. Lomatin was right. There are no coincidences. So does that mean that... The Davidson LLC and Morningside LLC are the same companies. Yeah, that they basically set up Davidson
0: as like a shell company and just let the building probably sit there for a few years so that while they acquired other places and then made like a big play for like the neighborhood rather than have neighbors go, oh, these big developers are moving in, you know,
1: I think. Sneaky, sneaky. Oh, we know. Yeah. So they go to the divorced parents to tell them the news. The mom is shocked. The boy from the mural. And now it's like, you know, her worst nightmare and fears are beginning to realize again. And the guy is like, okay, they found Hector in a building owned by my father. He's like, it must be a coincidence. Benson slowly explains. He was buried beneath a concrete floor that was poured four days after he was abducted. The dad's like, yeah, okay, I feel sorry for this boy. I mean, I've never in SVU history wanted a a child to be dead more than his. You know what I mean? (laughs) I'm like, don't find him. Don't find him. It is
0: like really wild. It's like that scene where he loses him. He's so good. And you're like, you feel the panic. But then the rest of the episode, he's like, I don't really remember people. I don't really know faces. I'm not visual.
1: I don't, I tune people out. Like, you're like, who are what is your deal? Like, just a dick. Um, but yeah, so Benson finally is like, we need to know who poured the concrete, you fucking moron. He's like, in 99, I have no idea, and my father's dead. And they're like, Well, you better fucking track it down. So they go to some underground type place with boxes and files. Nothing's on the computer, it's all loose. And we need info on the super of the building. So he's digging, and finally he sees that the managing agent was someone named L. Hoda. He then realizes he actually recently had a meeting with Louis Hoda about four months ago. So the meeting was basically Hoda telling this rich kid that his father owed him money and that he needed to give him money. And what his dad hired him for was to be a rough character. So rent strikes, illegal tenants, drug dealers, you know, a tough guy. And they're like, okay, so how do we get in touch with him? And he said, well, he complained about a basement apartment he had in one of my father's old buildings. So they knock at the fucking and arrest the guy in a raid in the middle of the night. And they slam him into the wall. And they're like, where's the boy? Where's the boy? Why at seven? Where is he? And he's like, never heard of him. And Finn shows him a picture and says, you worked for his grandfather. What did you do with the boy? Finn screams in his face. Hoda screams back. And it's Tom Sizemore who has over two hundred credits on IMDb, and I have not seen not one. He just died in March of this year. What? I don't. Yeah, I don't even think I heard about that. I did not know he passed. He has a prolific, prolific career. It's just like a lot of it's it's war and cop. It's not really my movies. I'm not watching Saving Private Ryan. Yeah, you know, but I'm not think... watching Born on the you know on the Fourth right. of July. So I never see. I've never seen his work. I don't think I've ever really seen anything either.
0: I just remember, like in this episode, him being really scary. But also, I remember him dating Heidi Fleiss. Like he came to my consciousness when the Heidi Fleiss thing all came to get came out. So he, I was not always to like, be
1: offensive of the dead, but he looks like someone that would have dated Heidi Fleiss.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and then, I mean, he was accused of sexual abuse and substance abuse. Like, he had allegations great. against him.
1: Great, great, great. Um, Well, I was actually protesting all of his work, so I did yeah. that on purpose. But the name Tom Sizemore is so famous. I feel like that name gives does something to me. Yeah, yeah so he's screaming back at Finn he goes you got nothing but then Rollins uh, Rollins I am losing it in this episode (laughs) Rollins did find something Vicodin and Oxy for an Amy Rosenthal so everyone's like good enough for me he's like sure (laughs) arrest me on a couple of bootleg scripts okay and they get his ass out of there so is this our guy another work session and Benson is still wearing a white long sleeve shirt so is this just one long day has no one slept has this been multiple days (laughs) like (laughs) I I can't still be daytime so I'm not really sure what's going on or maybe it's so now Amaro got some scoop and in the 90s he was investigated four times by marshals investigating arsons on our SROs and SROs I'll explain are single room occupancy hotels and they provide affordable housing so that's really cool. So basically, there's all these arson things with him and all these tenements and SROs and other buildings that the Morrises wanted gone. Suddenly, there was arson involved. Also, he's in the uh, NCIC database. He was questioned twice near playgrounds in Brooklyn and Yonkers in 01 and 06. And two boys disappeared in... Brooklyn and in Yonkers in 01 and 06. So, things are starting to paint a little picture. And Lomaton's timeline, there was a fire a week after both the boys' disappearance. So then, Cragen is still being so annoying. He's like, yeah, but we can't get ahead of ourselves. We don't really know who owned the buildings. And it's like, Benson finally is like, go fuck yourself. We can make a case later. We need to get him. We need to find the boy. We need to find the boy, Cragen. Yeah. So, Kragen sends Benson in Amaro because um, he thinks that hope. Oda might still be mad at Finn and Rollins for, you know, waking him up in such a abrupt manner. He's sitting in the room in a tank top and Benson marvels at his scars and says, I know where they came from. You did these right and shows photos of some fires. You worked for David Morris's father and you're good maybe even the best. Nobody thought it was you. He's like, excuse me, detectives, but this happened a long time ago and nobody died, so there's really nothing to talk about. Benson pushes um, and was like, well, David Morris made a fortune off your work. What did you get out of it? That's the way it works, he says. Pioneers get the arrows and settlers get the land. Amaro gets specific. Tell us about the 376 Manhattan Avenue. He thinks, I don't know, maybe a grease fire, the Chinese restaurant next door. Benson goes, no, it actually started in a comic book store on the ground floor of the building. Tenants were on a rent strike. He says, oh, yeah, yeah, and starts laughing and mumbling and being a little weird. And then they show Hector's photo, and he denies knowing him at all. And Benson goes, are you sure? You were the managing agent just down on the block, he goes. Was I? And he does seem drugged. I wonder yeah. if he was really on drugs or just an incredible actor. So, yep. And you signed for a concrete delivery at the building a week after the fire. He goes, "Oh yeah, you know, from the water from the hoses, they flooded the basement and they um, had to do a new slab." But. That doesn't make sense because that building was 100 yards away from the fire. So you're going to need another story. That would not be possible for the water to reach that far. He says, okay, whatever. A pipe burst. Like, who gives a shit? He then admits to being there when the concrete was poured. So, okay. Okay then explain how Hector ended up buried there. And he goes, uh, 40 residents, half of them on parole. They all did time. They all talked together. Like, I don't know what you want from me. And they're like, but sure. But you're the only one that was been questioned for hanging around playgrounds. But also you were there when the concrete was poured. So Yeah. yeah, that doesn't make sense. So they keep pushing and piling on the evidence and he says, you got this all wrong. This is a twilight zone. And they're like, come on dude, just tell us what happened. She's like, you did the fires and you double dipped. He punches the table with all his might, tries to leave and Amaro pushes him into the wall and Benson slowly walks him and says, you're not going anywhere. This time, Lewis, because we have witnesses putting you at all those crime scenes and nobody likes a chomo, especially not in state prison. And he says, I didn't touch those kids. He starts to crumble at the thought of being chicken hawk and prison. And that is a pedophile. So there's some pacing going around and Amaro's like, okay, you're good for the fires, but these little boys, you never touch them. Is that what you're saying? He goes, yes, exactly. I'm a professional and I'm just doing my job. And he goes, well, sure. And if you don't want the DA to put the child stuff on you, you need to help us. He crumbles to the ground and is sitting on the ground distraught. And Amaro pushes him like Morris family sucks, right? You took a lot of risks and made that family a lot of money. And when his son needed to do right by you, he acted like he didn't even know you. And he says, what I did for that family, they should have given me the penthouse. The old man, he had balls. David, he has no idea, none. He doesn't know what it takes to empty a building. You don't do it with lawsuits and BS payouts. You do it with fire. (laughs) This guy's old school. And he lifts his fists in the air And he goes And sister just like you said I have the scars to prove it I'm in the hall of fame And so then Amaro goes And you took Wyatt um, so Morris owed you, so we can put that out there and say there was a ransom demand, but with Hector, that boy had asthma. That boy just stopped breathing when he was with you, right? And the dude snaps. So Benson goes, we could put all of this out there about the Morrises and all this bullshit, but you've got to give us something, Lewis. So he ponders. Then um, crouch down to him and they both are like face level to him and they're like, tell us where Wyatt is right now. Siren blares. The cops are running, clipping, open locks to a series of fences. They enter a dark giant building flashlights out and screaming for Wyatt what is this place huge white bricks inside it's like an abandoned something and then we hear mommy and Benson runs towards the voice and behind a wooden door is Wyatt are you okay she lifts him hugs him she carries him out his parents run to him they all hug and walk off together and Benson calls him a brave boy but says after all this he's gonna need both of his parents and Nora Jones starts playing again and the three of them hug but for poor Hector just more candles, flowers, and vigils and tears, and that stick wolf baby.
0: It's a confusing episode because it's like, because they got into real estate law, like <laughs> yeah. But also, why did he take Hector? Is he a child molester? I know we're gonna get into this because this is this episode wildly concludes in three seasons with the trial of Louis Hoda. So I'm sure we're gonna learn more, but like. If you're just watching this episode, and I don't know that they knew they were going to do another episode three years down the road, why did he take Hector? Why did he kill Hector? He was strangled, so it wasn't like he didn't stop breathing from asthma. Did he take him because he went to molest him and then kill him? Like, is that yeah. what it was? And poured okay. the
1: concrete over him.
0: Oh, okay, okay. Because it, But it seemed like it's weird because it's like you took this boy for molestation, but you took this other boy for revenge. It's just a little bit crate, like confusing, you know? Oh, maybe
1: he's not a pedophile. Interesting. But we don't yes, know well, if Wyatt's been molested or would have been molested. Yeah, we don't know. I think they're I think they were just in this, they might even still charge him for stuff. We'll see what the evidence is. I think for this it was just like they needed to say whatever to fucking find Wyatt, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. It is a good episode and it just shows you how rich people suck and losing a child is really hard. Yes. Horrible. The worst thing.
0: And hopefully this will be a wake-up call for Richie Rich to start memorizing
1: some faces and keeping a better eye on his kid. Do you think the parents are going to get back together?
0: They kiss at the end. Yeah. I saw that, like, they kiss. So, I don't know. It's like, if you guys fight and hate each other, I don't really know that this would, like, fully repair everything. Like, hopefully it would make you guys co-parent better. But I don't know. Like, if you got
1: you're getting divorced. I don't know. Maybe maybe. Maybe you know. they'll fuck once or twice and then realize Yeah, they hate yeah, the trauma bonding. I mean.
0: Yeah. Um all right, don't go anywhere. Listen to our advertisements and we will be right back with some crime. Mm-hmm. And we're back. So Obviously, when I watch this episode, my mind immediately goes to Aton Patz, who is a little boy who went missing in New York City in, oh gosh, the 80s, I believe, or um, 79, sorry, and he disappeared, and it's like a case that spans a long time, but... This one matches up, I think, more with the next episode, which we're gonna do called "Depravity Standard," um, and so we're gonna cover that then. I just don't want everybody writing and going. This is about Aton Pats. It's like I know it is, but it's gonna be for next time. This one, I'm gonna cover the Bobby Greenlease case. Have you ever heard of this, Lisa? No, I have not. No, I I had never heard of this. Um, There's a lot of
1: green, Green River. You know, there's a lot of green. Yeah, Green River Killer.
0: Bobby Greenlees, this case reminds me of like the first episode, the first season of the Perry Mason reboot, like all kinds of things I've seen on television. I'm sure it's been like dramatized, but this all takes place in 1953. Robert Cosgrove Greenlees Jr., a.k.a. Bobby, Uh, at the time is the six-year-old son of Robert Cosgrove Greenlee Sr., a millionaire car dealer in Kansas City, Missouri. This guy brought General Motors cars like to the Great Plains. So, and he owned dealerships from like Texas to the Dakotas. Like he was just like a very wealthy man. And he was, I think actually in his 60s when they had Bobby and he had an older adopted son. Um, And so on September 28th of 1953, little Bobby was attending the French Institute of Notre Dame de Sion when a woman came to the school claiming to be Bobby's aunt. The A nun that answered the door was named Sister Moran and was told by this woman that Bobby's mother had had a heart attack and was in the hospital. She was extremely upset and Sister Moran just went and got Bobby and brought her him right to this woman and Bobby went with the woman no problem. Nothing in his behavior suggested that he didn't know this woman or that she wasn't his aunt. And the woman took Bobby away in a taxi. And then later that morning, another nun, Sister Marthana, called the Greenleases to check in on the mom and see like, oh, what's the status of her? heart? Is she okay? And who picks up the phone but the mom, healthy and not a heart attack in sight. So the whole story was a ruse and Bobby had been abducted straight out of his school, which is such a ballsy fucking thing to do. Because like, what if he had made a fuss and said, that's not my aunt. I don't want to go with you. Or like they... To just be that confident to go to a school and just walk out with a kid is so nuts. So Bobby's mother called his father, who called the Kansas City police, and then they handed the case over to the FBI. And actually, a lot of the information I got for this crime, I got on the FBI website. There's like a lot of information on it there. So um, a cab driver for a cab company named Willard Pearson Creech told the authorities that he had picked up this woman, dropped her at the school, and she said, wait for me, and that she got into the cab with Bobby six minutes after arriving. So it took her six minutes for her to be like, give me this kid, let's go. And a few hours later, the Greenleases got a ransom note. The first letter was mailed special delivery and postmarked 6 p.m. on September 28th, the day he went missing, and it demanded $600,000 in 20s and 10s to be placed in a duffel bag. They promised to return Bobby safe and sound within 24 hours as long as they got the payment and there was no funny business, you know, no tricks. The, ran- the second ransom letter was postmarked 9.30 p.m. on September 29th, the next day, and inside that envelope was, with along with the letter, was a Jerusalem medal that Bobby wore. So this letter also demanded the 600000 and said that Bobby was doing fine, but that he was homesick. So now the Green Leases received over half a dozen ransom notes and 15 telephone calls. And it's like, fuck, these are thirsty kidnappers. Like they were really reaching out a lot. Um, But the Green Leases are multimillionaires, so they do pay the ransom. Like the final call was received on October 5th. So this is like a week of them just getting these calls and ransom notes from the green, from, um, from the kidnappers and the green leases, I guess are working out with the FBI, how to get money, how to deliver the money. I don't know what's happening. I don't know why it took like a week, but the kidnappers then in their last phone call, they say, we've got the 600,000. We, Bobby is fine and he's alive and he will be, he will be returned to you in 24 hours. Sadly, unbeknownst to the family, the kidnappers, who are named Carl Hall and Bonnie Hetty, it's a man and a woman, a couple. They're not married, but they're boyfriend girlfriend or whatever. They had killed Bobby almost immediately after his abduction. They shot him in their car with a thirty eight caliber revolver. And all of the talk about bringing him back was not true. They were never going to deliver him. They actually, they think that the ransom notes came even after he was dead. Like it wasn't like oh he. You know, he's seen our faces. We have to kill him. Like, they killed him right away. So, they also buried his body near Bonnie Hedy's home in St. Joseph, Missouri. The body had been wrapped in a large plastic bag and had a lime poured over it, which is to, like, disintegrate the body, I think. And so... On October 7th, a couple days after he was found and about 10 days after he was taken, the de- the family dentist identified his body with um, confirming dental records. So kind of like what they had to do with Hector, sadly. Now, Carl Hall, the man in the situation, he had gone to military school with Paul Robert Greenlease, who is Bobby's adopted older brother. And this guy, Carl Hall, had been planning for years to get his hands on this family's money. He was like, I'm going to do something to these people at some point, and I'm going to get their fucking money. Which kind of sounds like this Lewis guy. Like, he wants this family's fucking money. And although he see- he feels like he worked for it, this guy just spotted a rich family.
1: I mean, I don't believe in killing children. Obviously that doesn't need to be stated. But he did do a lot of illegal shit. He deserved a fucking payout and not a basement apartment. I'm sorry. Like they fucked him over and the rich people, like obviously they have no morals and that family in particular, like with the neighborhood and the shadiness and the LLCs, like they're obviously not going to just pay people, but I think Hoda deserved a couple million dollars. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Aside from being a child killer, but like just the for just the, the work, work alone. He did. Yeah. And if no one died in the buildings of his fires, that's that's incredible. That's the work. Yeah. This is so, disgusting. I really did not see it coming that this little boy was murdered immediately. I really, I thought this was honestly going to be like quick, done and done. I thought you were just going to be like, and then he was returned. I. This no. is like horrible. Sadly,
0: I'm sorry that's not the case. But there's more like weirdness to this. Like, So basically, once Carl and Bonnie got the ransom money, they hit the road for St. Louis, which is about 380 miles away from Kansas City. After they got there, I guess they went out to party that they had killed a kid and gotten all this money, and Bonnie got really drunk. Carl brought her to an apartment he'd rented in St. Louis and Bonnie passed out. Carl immediately left, leaving her with only $2,000 of the $600,000. And then he took a sex worker back to a motel, apparently. Then the next day, on October 6th, he bought two big garbage cans and a shovel and his plan was to bury the money, but he couldn't find a good place to do it. Um, And he had already also, I think, transferred the money to two big suitcases. This is like a little bit relevant later from the duffel bag that it was originally delivered in. So... Apparently, he ditches these cans and he goes back to his motel. Then he gets suspicious about somebody hanging out at his hotel. So he changes to like hotel apartment in St. Louis. And then the same day, the St. Louis police department gets a call from a driver at the Ace Cab Company in St. Louis. And I also read that this, I've read that this cab driver called the St. Louis police department, but I've also read that he tipped off his boss who was a mobster named Joe Costello. And that Joe Costello called Lieutenant Louis Shoulders, who is a crooked St. Louis cop, or it could be Louis Shoulders, Louis Louis, I don't know. Oh, uh, you know, we have problems with that name on this podcast. Uh, so this guy's a crooked cop. Shoulders and his driver, this patrolman named Elmer Dolan, then arrest Hall on October 6th and the ransom money disappears. Mm. Nobody knows where it goes. Hall originally tells the cops that his name is John James Byrne at first, but like, you know, the jig is up pretty quickly. He later directs cops to the apartment where his uh, girlfriend is passed out and they arrest her, his girlfriend and co-conspirator. Hall was interrogated by the FBI and law enforcement many times. And every time he insisted, I had all the ransom money with me at the time I was arrested. Like, I had all of it. It was all there in these two suitcases. So he admitted finally to FBI agents the planning of the kidnapping, the abduction of the victim, burying the body, picking up the ransom money. But at first, he denied that he killed Bobby. And he tried to pin it on someone named Tom Marsh. He said he, like, delivered Bobby to this person named Tom Marsh. He later admitted that Tom Marsh was a made-up person and that he and Bonnie had done the entire crime on their own for the money. So Bonnie he also admitted to Helping Hall in preparing the ransom notes and of going to the school and actually being the one to take Bobby. So they pretty much admit it all. What's crazy is that on SVU, this episode aired season 14. The trial happened season 17. Three years go by. You're about to hear about the fastest criminal proceedings I've like ever heard of in my life. I don't know if things have just gotten slower over time in the 50s. They were just plugging along. But these people get arrested on like October 7th. October 30th, they're in front of a judge. Okay, they're in front of Judge Albert Elrie. SVU times. Yeah, yeah. In federal court in Kansas City, they plead guilty. On November 19th, two and a half weeks later, The jury hears the evidence. They recommend the death penalty after only an hour and eight minutes of deliberation. 15 minutes after the verdict was announced, the judge sentenced them to be executed on December 18th. Judge Reeves said, quote, I think the verdict fits the evidence. It is the most cold-blooded, brutal murder I have ever tried, end quote. So Carl Austin Hall and Bonnie Emily Hetty were executed together in Missouri's gas chamber at the state penitentiary in Jefferson City on December 18th. Like, not even like three months from when they committed the crime. From committing the crime to execution, less than three months. Hall was pronounced dead at 12-12 and Bonnie Hedy was pronounced uh, dead 20 seconds later. Interestingly, I thought, Hedy is one of only four women to have ever been executed by federal authorities as of 2021. The first one, was a Lincoln assassination conspirator, uh, conspirator named Mary Surratt in 1865. The second one was Ethel Rosenberg. We all know the Rosenberg Soviet spies in 1953, just months before Hedy. Then there was Bonnie Hetty, And the fourth woman is Lisa Montgomery, the woman who killed and cut the baby out of Bobby Joe Stinnett on the case that we covered. And she actually was only executed back in January of 2021 We personally on this podcast like rallied for her pardon because she had gone through so much abuse in her life that there was a lot of evidence that she had brain damage. And I didn't think it was, even though she committed a horrific crime, there's a lot of evidence that she was horribly abused her entire life and had kind of a a warped sense of right and wrong and... I think lifelong incarceration would have been fine for her. But she's the fourth woman and she was just killed two years ago. So from 53 to 2021, the federal government did not execute any women.
1: Well, them being together, like, so they're just in one gas chamber together? That's I mean, it says that I think they got gas together. I think
0: maybe people, they wanted to make, like, an example. I have no idea. But, yeah, gas together and— Over half of the $600,000 was never found. An FBI investigation went into finding the two suitcases, which had all the ransom money, and they were apparently just never brought to the precinct. The money just disappeared. And according to the arresting officers, Lewis Shoulders, Lieutenant Lewis Shoulders, and Patrolman Elmer Dolan, they never made it to the precinct. Both officers were subsequently federally indicted for perjury. They were both convicted. Shoulders got three years in prison. Dolan got two years in prison. And after they were released from prison, they both returned to the St. Louis area. And um, Shoulders died a few years later and never fessed up to it. And Dolan got a pardon from Lyndon B. Johnson in 1965. I don't know. I don't know. <sighs> where did this fucking money go? I always wonder that sometimes like- The cops you took know, it. when we watch these shows. Yeah, of course they took it. But like, it must be- it's different in this situation where it's like, where it's like, this is money for a baby that was killed or for a little little kid that died. But like when they go into like SVU and they all bust a drug ring and it's just like packs and packs of money, aren't they ever like, this is just drug money. If I could just take a couple thousand, you know, like I would be like, you know, not that drug money doesn't have casualties. Of course it does, but you know, not ransom for a child. So anyway, that's the sad story of Bobby Greenlees but I feel like I the whole thing of the first season of Perry Mason the new one that they did with Matthew Rhys was about the abduction of a baby and the like the the father's family is kind of rich and like I just feel like we've seen this kind of um thing before in in TV shows and stuff and maybe it's all based on this but I didn't uh, I had never heard of this case before.
1: No, I haven't. And it's like they I can't believe they killed him immediately. I mean, I I am against the death penalty, but I'm happy they got it. Yeah. They're bad. Yeah. Oh my God. Oh. Sad. Because it really feels like they probably
0: could have just left him in a field and yeah. taken the money,
1: you know? So. Well, yeah. And it's also like, why did Hector die and not Wyatt? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Horrible. Well,
1: join us for a post-mortem.
0: All right. Post-mortem time, baby. Um, what did we learn? Stay very close to your children when they're getting on the subway. That makes me so scared. The idea, that is like my ultimate nightmare when I was a nanny too. Like just the idea of getting separated from a kid. they are on the train or they're on the platform and you're on the train. Like that is my like nightmare.
1: Yeah, it is um really scary, but also I've seen these kinds of I mean this guy was different um cuz his goal was kidnapping, but right. I've seen an action like money mind trick people. Like my friend was a bartender and this guy walked in and I truly, like we all just watched her and she gave him money she didn't want to. And like immediately we knew we were tricked and we tried to find him and I followed him and then he ducked away. Like he was truly a master sneak and mind control. And this happened to a friend also in the neighborhood. It's like this neighborhood guy. She was bartending and he walked in and she ended up giving him all this money from the register. Like it's- Because he mind tricked them? it's a mind trick where he gives money or like someone gives you cash and then it goes, oh no, I gave you this and then you're kind of like, oh, I didn't realize or like they ask for change and like he whirlwinds you in a way and I, I watched it happen once and then I had another friend where it happened to in the same neighborhood where it's like, you just, they um like hypnotize you in this wild way because why else would he pick up Damn. that money? Like I want to be like, be vigilant, fuck money, everyone's trying to trick you. Like if someone drops you, like don't do it but they're good at tricking you to thinking yeah. you should pick up that cash. Like, you know, you yeah. never think it's going to be you. And then you're in the call. It's kind of like our friend who nail glued, you know, her fang, the, her fangs, <laughs> vampire fangs to her teeth. She, her big thing is like, you make fun of the gorilla glue girl and then you're the gorilla glue and girl. Then it's you.
0: No. And it reminds me too of a person I knew who a psychic took them to an ATM and was like, you have to take out all your money so I can like bless it or whatever and give it to me. And, just the psychic fully robbed her. Wow. Luckily, she didn't have that much money, but I think it was a few hundred dollars.
1: <laughs> the psychic robbed her. Yeah. Sometimes I don't know just... if that was
0: a mind trick so much as somebody being very gullible and believing everything a psychic tells them to do, but what else? This episode, I mean, this episode's stressful. Missing children is obviously a very stressful thing for me to think about, but um, I'm glad they found little Wyatt, but not. I'm sad about what happened to Hector.
1: Yeah, it's like, how do you keep living? Yeah, the mom is just so sad. Yeah. And that the cops fucked up so long ago. Like, the, that Cragen, even this guy that we see as, like, a good cop or whatnot, it was so gung-ho of like, yeah, whatever. Dad took him. Custody. We're done. And it's like, yeah. what the fuck? Yeah, it was weird that they were so
0: willing to just be like, oh, this is what happened. Like, you know, um... And the real case is so wild, but I guess it's like in the 50s, people were just like walking into schools and saying, I'm your aunt, come with me. I don't know. It's so-
1: Because now it's so many signatures.
0: Oh, yeah. you have There's like a list of only a certain people and there's apps. I mean, it's like, really, you know. I just heard that at Chuck E. Cheese, they put a little bracelet on the kids that they can't leave or go with anybody else that has to match the parents. I'm like, that's genius. They did it at the hospital when I had child. They put a little low jack on them so that you can't do any baby swapping. Damn. Um,
1: Damn. Yeah. Child casino. <laughs> um. Anyway. No, uh, uh. Yeah. Take care of your kids. Be nice. And. Don't be and a rich a, kid. Ugh, yeah, if you're a fucking multimillionaire,
0: kid, pay the people that do your dirty work so they don't fucking kidnap your kid. Jesus.
1: Cheat. Rich people are so cheap at times. Like, fuck, get it together. Yeah. I mean, but, you, the boy didn't deserve it. They should have kidnapped the dad and I wouldn't have even batted yeah. an eye. <laughs> And
0: his ex-wife wouldn't have given a shit either. She would have been like, great. He's late all the time anyway. Yeah, I um, mean, to
1: only see your kid once every two weeks and still be an hour and a half late, you're a piece of shit.
0: And then bring him to like meet your girlfriend where she works. Like, ugh, just like dedicate the time to him. You know, this guy's a dick. But he was I guess- wonderful when I saw him in Twelfth Night at the
1: Shakespeare <laughs> in the park. Dude, Andrew Rannells and Josh Gad were on Watch What Happens Live. And like... Andrew Rannells, what a Broadway career. I don't think I, re- I realized what a star he is. Oh, yeah. I knew Book of Mormon, but he was, like, in the Hairspray in that. Like, he's in so And were much you the stuff. one telling me that he's, like,
0: always off book, like, from rehearsal one? And he's, like, re- somebody was telling me he's, like, so professional and, like, so good and just knows, like, how to do everything from the day, like, from day one. Wow. I forgot who it was telling me, but, like, somebody was, like, oh, he's just, like, so good at what he does. Like, Wow. I love him. I love him in like I loved him in Girls. I loved him in Black Monday. I like him when he does um like just straight up acting stuff too, not just musicals. But I saw him in no, I didn't see him in Book of Mormon, I don't think. I don't think I saw the original cast. No,
1: I saw the Chicago touring. I kind of want to see it again though, but only no, but with I him. Saw, <laughs> but I saw, you know, I saw Book
0: of Mormon for like $60 because I think I saw it at the end of previews. So it's possible I saw it with them.
1: No, I, I, hope, I hope to meet him. Um, I love a professional cutie. He seems sweet and amazing. And I'm a big fan. I'm a huge fan of him. Yeah, he's the best. He um, needs to do SVU. Oh, yeah. Then we can have him on the pod him as like a killer
0: like that you don't suspect oh that would be fun Um, okay let's get into our what would Sister Peg do for the week this is our weekly segment where we point you to an organization a blog a book a movie something to give you more info about what we talked about today and we thought we would uh, point you guys this week to the International Center for Missing and Exploited Children it's a group that works to protect children around the world from going missing by providing resources for governments law enforcement NGOs and families on prevention as well as as the appropriate actions to take in the event that a child does go missing. And I thought this was interesting because, you know, in the episode, they think he's in the Dominican Republic. It's like, why wouldn't there be able to, an ability to look for him there, you know? I think organizations like this help sort of probably bridge a lot of those gaps. And it's uh, icmec.org. That's... Uh, icmec.org, I-C-M-E-C.org. And that will be posted in our stories the day this episode comes out and saved forever in our WWS highlight.
1: And next week we'll be doing Depravity Standard Season 17, Episode 9. And it's actually Part 2 of Manhattan Vigils. So get a lot of that. If you wanted more Tom Sizemore, he's coming. And how wild we went on an um, Andrew Rannell's uh, kind of tangent when Ray Pashansky is in this one or Alex Kroposky. Another girl's guy.
0: Um, Thank you guys so much for listening. We love you. Uh, Message us, email us, come see us live and uh, we'll see you next week. Bye.
1: That's Messed Up is an exactly
0: right production. If you have compliments you'd like to give us or episodes you'd like us to cover, shoot us an
1: email at thatsmesseduppod
0: at gmail.com.
1: Follow the podcast on Instagram at thatsmesseduppod and on Twitter at messeduppod. And follow us personally at KaraClank and at Glitter Cheese. As always, please see our show notes for
0: sources and more information.
1: Thank you so much to our producer, Casey O'Brien, and our associate producer, Christina Chamberlain. And to our mixer, John Bradley, and our guest booker, Patrick Cotner. And to Henry Kaperski for our theme song, and Carly Jean Andrews for our artwork. Thank you to our executive producers, Georgia Hardstart, Karen Kilgariff, Danielle Kramer, and
0: everybody at Exactly Right Media. Dun-dun! Dun-dun! Follow That's Messed Up and SVU podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen so you don't miss an episode. If you like what you hear, rate and review the show. Visit exactlyrightstore.com to purchase That's Messed Up merch.